A graphic novel, a TV show Well, it's not TV, it's HBO And will this thing succeed? And by how much, man? Some might cheer and some might scoff Because it's Damon Lindelof But either way we're off To watch some Watchmen Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Welcome to Watchmen Watch, a podcast about HBO's Watchmen. Who watches the Watchmen? We watch the Watchmen. Also, watch you watching the Watchmen. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I am Pete. That's a lot of watching. It is a lot of watching. Unfortunately, there's one person who isn't going to be watching this week. Justin, what's going on here? Our fourth, uh, obviously our fourth um, host, Alan Moore. Um, he uh, is usually here for this. Um, I think he's been at all of them up until this one, but he just texted me. He can't make it. Um, his, uh, he's trapped in like the mid-80s, and so his, <laughs> oh. his, Skype, his Skype settings aren't, aren't uh, working quite correctly. <sighs> This is this is the problem with having a guy who has the power of time travel on our podcast. It's very disappointing, but you know what? He's been a good friend. The other day I was feeling a little down, and he just uh, appeared. He apparated, if you will, and said, Hey, how you doing, buddy? You want to hang out? You want to get some PSLs? And I was like, Yeah, I want to get some PSLs. And he bought us the PSLs. Venti, even. Venti wow. PSLs. That's wow. the kind of guy Alan Moore is. Wow. That's good. He's a good friend, a great enemy, and a magnificent bastard. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm very disappointed that he won't be here this week, but we will be talking about the third issue of the Watchmen comic book, The Judge of All the Earth, as we continue to ramp up to the debut of the HBO series on October 20th. Before we get into the issue, though, I want to confess something to you guys now that we're a couple of episodes into this podcast. All right, about time. Uh... This podcast makes me very nervous. Why? And Ooh. The reason it makes me very nervous is because Watchmen is so revered throughout our entire history as comic book reviewers, uh, throughout the history of comic books, or at least the past couple of decades of comic book history. Um, I feel, and I, I was curious to get your guys' bent on it, uh, your guys' take on it, but I feel a responsibility to get everything right, and I'm terrified that people are going to point out things that we got hideously wrong. And normally I don't feel that in our podcast, but this one I definitely do. How are you huh. guys feeling about it? Are you pretty chill about it, or are you feeling like I am? Well, now I'm stressed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I feel like this is sort of getting into, it's like we're archaeologists digging up like a pretty sick dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, like what's the sweetest dinosaur? I'm going to say Stegosaurus. Yeah. And we have, obviously, we have the, our fourth host, the king of the dinosaurs here normally with us. So that's cool to dig up a dinosaur with the king of the dinosaurs. Uh, that, that's rude to the man who bought me a venti PSL with a nutmeg spritz on it, which was very nice. Pete, wow. what about you? How are you feeling about this? How are you feeling about talking about Watchmen so far? Well, now that well we're- I feel like Watchmen has been talked about 
so much. Uh, it is such a huge, you know, some people call it the grail of comic books, of graphic novels, um, that I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like we're just giving a how we feel about it, our take on it, and that doesn't uh, stress me out. But there is a weight to this, though, that is uh, something to be revered. Yeah. It also, I mean, it helps, but it doesn't help that as we've been kind of joking about the past couple of episodes, it's a really good book. Like, we talked about this in a couple of episodes, but you sort of abstract how good Watchmen is over the years when you're talking about it. But getting back into it, and this issue, again, I was struck because we've been talking about juxtaposition quite a bit on the podcast, but this issue hits it real hard, like crazy hard. And the amount of effort and time and thought that goes into that, not that modern comic book writers and generally comic writers aren't putting the thought, but the extra, several extra levels that are going on there make it super impressive. And I feel an Otis to deliver on that at our podcast. Yeah, I think, well, that's, uh, if we want to talk about the things that really stand out on rereading this, uh, like the pacing of this comic is so, it's just so stunning how the way it just moves through the story and really complex ideas and a series of different complex ideas. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this issue because I thought this was a fascinating one. The first two ones, uh, the first two issues of the book very squarely focus on the mystery of who killed Edward Blake as we continue to flesh out the characters, as we continue to flesh out the themes of this book. Um, to my mind, at least on first read, on a very surface read, it feels like it almost takes a step back from that. You know, we get a lot of character move into this one. This is the one that introduces the tales of the Black Freighter. Uh, we get a lot of thematic resonance in terms of what's going on in the world. There's this literal doomsday clock counting down to the potential destruction of the world, the way that the people in the world think it's going to happen with the war between Russia and the United States, but they don't know they're going to get squitted. Uh, what did you guys think about this issue in general? What was your feeling on it? Also, this one, this to me is like, like we saw in New York a lot uh, in the first two issues, but this is to me is like classic New York, you know, like especially the way it starts, like the guy in the street, you know, thinking he kind of knows everything because he lives in New York City and because of the things that he's seen. Uh, but True. I also love the detail. Like if you look at the stand and all the little things in the stand, um, it that says so much about this comic that there is no just background fill-in stuff. Like everything is thought about. You can look at the titles of the magazines. Uh, you know, they take a, a shot at Richard, Richard Nixon in this. Uh, plus, uh, you have the thermos and the and the lunchbox, which just kind of brought me back, and I was like, "Oh man, I miss my thermos." <laughs> I used to yeah. just like eat ramen out of my thermos, and like uh, it was it was a good time. Ramen, I mean, that's you say. The, ramen. Yeah. You eat a you eat a noodle soup out of a thermos. Yeah, man. Did you? Uh, sorry to uh, hook into this too much, but Pete, <laughs> did you like? Just slurp a bunch of noodles out there? What was going on? Yeah, man. Take off the cap, slurp some noodles. You don't uh, need no any wow. utensils, man. All right. I mean, that's one of the... What year was this? 
Was this in year. a post-apocalyptic world? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I hate to break it to you. Ramen's been a while for a minute, bro. Especially mm. instant ramen. Do you know that bowls exist? Are you aware of that? Yes. Yes, I am. Oh, all right. That'd be a crazy oh. reveal. Pete's never <laughs> even seen a bowl. A what? <laughs> Let me describe it. It's like a plate with walls. <laughs> Just if you don't know it, that's what a bowl is. Yeah, okay, well, one cool. of the major themes of the issue is that thermoses exist, and what do you think about that? <laughs> uh, and they really do a good job of the juxtaposition there. Uh, well, let's uh, let's talk through the major themes of the issue before right, we walk I, through anything. Yes, Pete. Just what? real quick, though, I just wanted to say because it's like it starts. We talked about, and especially in the last issue, how they think about the panels kind of like a camera a little bit, and you're fully zoomed in on this fallout shelter sign. And zooms out as, you know, the newsstand guy's talking. And well, it's just about perspective. And that's a lot about what this comic is about, is perspective. And uh, it's very interesting. Well, specifically the fallout shelter side, and this plays out throughout this issue in particular because we're dealing with radioactivity in a bunch of different ways. There's first yeah. of all, there's the fallout shelter, as you mentioned, which I believe it doesn't show up on the first page, but it's revealed later on that the newsstand is across from the Institute of, I think it's extra spatial studies, yes. which is as we find out later on where a certain squid appears towards the end of the series. Um, so that's, that's the actual danger. That's the actual fallout that's going to happen by the end of the series. You have the second radioactive fallout uh, and the second instance of the radioactive fallout sign when it's put on Dr. Manhattan's door late yep. in the issue when he is accused of irradiating people, giving them cancer. Whether that's true or not is certainly up for debate. I think uh, I would argue it's pretty clear that he's not, but that's certainly another bit that we're dealing with with the radioactivity, a potential danger thing that might be bubbling under the surface. And the last one is the war uh, between Russia and the United States that we mentioned earlier as they invade Afghanistan. And there's this very satirical scene, I think, where Richard Nixon is in the war room and they're showing, yeah, this is what the nuclear fallout would be like if the Russians try to blow up the United States and Nixon. I don't remember exactly what he says, but he's kind of like, yeah, you know, oh, <laughs> that seems pretty bad. Yeah. He, well, he's, hmm. And, uh, would our losses be acceptable or what's the deal? He's pretty chill about it. Yeah. And uh, this gets back to something we mentioned on an earlier episode, which Watchman doesn't get enough credit for. It's, it's pretty funny at times. And I think yeah. like in a very dark humor way, but that scene is amusing. <laughs> Whoa, Whoa weird. that was creepy, dude And it's Amazing. fun Covering these topics uh, America, Russia, Afghanistan At least we're past that stuff You know, we don't ever have to go back And deal with these issues These scary issues uh, We can look at this as a time capsule And something we'll never return to Yes, that's very nice And I agree Now, last issue was very focused on the comedian Eddie Blake uh, given the grim humor, it occurs to me, do you think Alan Moore in any way identifies with the comedian that he looks at this as like, this is a bleak wasteland and all you can do is kind of laugh at the truth? I think so. Yeah. Um, he's definitely meant to be, he's the catalyst of this story, but he's also sort of the, the one who 
has almost the right take. Uh, he knows more than anyone else uh, at the beginning of the story from what we learned last issue when he talks to Moloch. Um, and that's why he's eliminated first, I think you could say. And it does feel like he's the one who's laughing at the world because the world doesn't make sense, which is... Uh, I mean, we're meant to think Dr. Manhattan's the hero, but he actually is the most vulnerable by the end of the story. And the comedian sort of is the most powerful, despite the fact that he died, because he knew everything. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of different trains that are running in this particular issue. We get a lot more focus on Dr. Manhattan. We don't get his origin yet. I believe that's coming up next issue. But we find out more about him. Uh, Lori ends up breaking up with him because he tries to please her with a threesome. Uh, but he is both parts of the threesome, and he's also working at the same time, again, showing his misunderstanding of humanity. Eventually, as we say, he gets confronted with the irradiation, and it ultimately ends up with him leaving Mars. But the second part of the issue, the uh, seemingly smaller part of the issue, is what's going on at the newsstand. Now, We've been talking quite a bit about how we reacted to Watchmen back in the day versus reading it now. I remember very clearly reading this issue and subsequent issues when they brought up the tales from the Black Freighter thing. Mm -hmm. And at the time, when I first read it, I was like, oh, this is so boring. Oh, my God. Shut up about these pirates. Who cares? But they have nothing to do with anything. (laughs) Uh, But reading it again and reading it closely, I feel very dumb about my past me because it's so clear that exactly what is going on in the Tales of the Black Freighter narration is uh, the interior monologue or the interior feelings of uh, the newsstand worker, even if that's not what he realizes. Yeah. Uh, and just the world in general, that it's, right. it's already, we're all already dead, and we're just uh, sort of realizing that is what our lives are. Mm-hmm. Sort of, there's the grim take. Uh, yeah. Turns out it's uh, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good idea. That uh, that dude had those dudes. Yeah, great yeah, dudes. I, and speaking of like uh, you know being dumber when you first read it. I mean, as a kid when I read this, you know, women were kind of a little bit more alien to me, and I didn't understand why Laurie was so upset at him uh, because it, it just seemed like well, you know, he's just trying to please her. Uh, in a way that I didn't quite understand, like threesome is a big deal, and like you know, so he's multitasking. I didn't get it, you know. But now you were like, this, the, it's like you were like, this is what sex is. It's a yeah, two, yeah. it's a twins uh, having sex with a person while the, their triplet works in the other room. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Twins. Yeah. By the way, how'd that go, Pete? Didn't you do that last week? You had sex with those two blue dudes. Oh, it was great. Thanks for the asking. The blue bad yeah. group, right? Yeah, One yeah. of them was doing the show in the other room, and you had sex with two of them. Was that nice? Did you have a nice time? Yeah, we're still doing this bit? Okay, yeah, it was great. Yeah, this is going to go the whole episode, Pete. We're not actually cool. talking about the issue. We're just going to talk about you having sex with the Blue Bad group. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the show is now, mostly. They did yeah. away with all the tubes and stuff. It's mostly yeah. live sex. Yeah, I tell and you, it's the stomp was so much better. <laughs> wow. Yeah, unrelated. Unrelated. You gotta have sex with uh, Cirque du Soleil. Now that's a oh yeah, that's where the real sex is. I'm more of a I'm over to have sex with a regular circus guy. (laughs) Oh wow, Uh, huh? Old school. Uh, 
I feel like yeah, I can't sort of comment classy, on that dude. because of real life reasons. Uh, well, no, <laughs> yeah. We won't get into that, though. Uh, anyway, so back to the issue. So it does kick off with the fallout shelter. It kicks off with the newsstand. Uh, what did you think in total? I know we just touched on this a little bit, but what did you think total of the Black Freighter section, the newsstand section, uh, the, I guess, kid? I don't know if it's a kid or young adult who's reading I mean, the Black smoking, Freighter. So you would think he's a young adult. Yeah, I don't know. He's yeah. seemingly having a, a dube. Is that how you pronounce no, it, Pete? Oh, that that's not a dube. That's a cigarette. A, a dube? A blunt? Uh, he's smoking a blunt? No, he's not. Some I think ganja? he's just smoking a cigarette. Some yeah. of that sweet green? Um, I feel like these are the first characters that we can just, like, like. Sweet green. Uh, <laughs> uh, we can just like these people uh, mm-hmm. and watch them without having to figure out how they fit in the larger story. They feel very much like audience surrogates just sort of hanging around in this world and we, some bad things are going to happen to them. On the superhero comic bent of it, then I do wonder if this is an effort to really spend some time with the literal people on the street, which is something that, barely ever happened up until this point in superhero comics. Most of the time you would have somebody's getting their purse snatched. Batman comes in, saves them. And they're like, thanks Batman. And that's the last you ever see the person. But here you really get to know these people, what they're thinking about the world, how they're feeling about it. One of them to the point that you were making earlier, Justin, the dude who's reading the black freighter, he seems very interested in entertainment to the point of not really actually caring about what's going on in the world. Yeah. The newsstand owner, on the other hand, is pretending to be very jaded about the world, but ultimately he's actually very scared about it. So we do get to see what it's like in a superhero world from the ground level, which is something that later on in a lot of different ways will be follow up. But uh, uh, first one that comes to mind is Alex Ross's Marvels that dealt with that in the Marvel Universe. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Also, like just the fact I know we talked a lot about the shading, but like. When the guy with the sign kind of rolls up on those two at the newsstand, it's such an interesting perspective on the whole next page um, that it's very unique. It's from the point of view kind of of the kid on the ground, you know. It's it's kind of like yeah. from the knees up, which is just such a such an interesting choice. By dude who rolls up with the sign, you're talking about Rorschach, right? Yeah, the end is uh, nigh. Right. The end is, yeah, so the we, end is Nye Guy. Bill, yes, the, end the end is, is Nye, Nye Guy. We yeah. still don't know in the comic book, if you're reading it in order, that that is Rorschach. Right now, we don't even know that his name is Walter Kovacs or anything like that, but that is him. Um, I love the bit. It's just a couple of pages in where the newsstand donor is like, hey, uh, I have your uh, new frontiersman for you. And he's like, you know, the world is going to end tomorrow. And he's like, yep. See you tomorrow. And he's like, sure. will." <laughs> and then he comes back a couple of paddles later and not, uh, taps him on the shoulders like you won't forget. And the uh, newspaper owner spits out his coffee. I just think that's just a fun page in the middle of all this bleakness. Little slapstick. I also think it's fun. I, you sort of touched on it where the, the newsstand guy is being has, he has such bravado about like, let's nuke Russia. And then that's yeah. literally what happens at the end, make, bringing all of his fears to reality, which is also mm-hmm. what's happening in the Black Freighter comic. So yeah. it, sets, it sets this tension um, with what the kid's reading, uh, and then that becomes their actual reality uh, like 15 pages later. 
Yeah, and also the newsstand guy's like, yeah, most people just want entertainment, want to zone out, which is exactly what the kid is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Now, let's talk about Dr. Manhattan and Lori a little bit. Uh, One thing that I think you touched on earlier, Justin, that I think is really fascinating about this issue, because we get to see Dr. Manhattan is trying to do the threesome to her with really to her. Actually, Uh, he's working at the same time later on. Jenny Slater, who was. Maybe not his first girlfriend, but his pre-Dr. Manhattan girlfriend, as we find out later in the series, uh, is dying of cancer and accuses him of it. And that causes him to leave Mars. What I think is fantastic about the way that, A, Alan Moore writes it, but also more so how Dave Givens draws it, is Dr. Manhattan is always very flat in his face the entire time. And his delivery is very flat. So you would think like everybody accuses him of, oh, he's disconnected from humanity. But as you brought up earlier, Justin, both Laurie rejecting him forces him to go on the interview show, and then Jenny rejecting him forces him to go to Mars. So really beneath that veneer of, I am above it all, I'm not human anymore, is a beating heart and a real sadness going on with him, I think. Oh, yeah. And also just like someone who is his big vulnerability is guilt. Like he feels Mm -hmm. guilt about what he's being accused of, assumes it to be true without doing any sort of research, which you think he would as a scientist, because he the guilt just overtakes him. And I think there's this great moment here in this panel in the background, Laurie sort of walking out and Dr. Manhattan in the foreground. Um, she's thrown a, a cylinder of liquid at him and he f- reforms it to perfection um, mm-hmm. as she's walking out. And just a nice thing that he he can't fix humans, but he can always fix he can always fix the cold, hard uh, scientific things around him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it kind of just talks about how how he's so smart and so, you know, amazing in all these different ways, but also it's such a loss when it comes to relationships and uh, interacting with humans. Uh, now, the next thing that happens plot-wise here is that Lori is kind of wandering along. She's not quite sure to go, but she immediately goes to Dan Dryberg, Night Owl 2, to talk to him because they had a nice time the other night, and he they commiserate together. Their relationship builds pretty quickly over the course of the issue. Uh, they end up walking together and getting uh, attacked by a mob, a gang that I believe shows up later and throughout the comic book and throughout the series. Um, But they clearly get a little hepped up by it and have a moment together. Before that, though, um, one of the most on-the-nose juxtaposition things happens pretty early on in their conversation, where there's a panel of Laurie saying... Uh, just shadows of the fog as the teapot spews steam and covers her face. She's blocked because Dr. Manhattan can't see her anymore. I just thought that was a fun little moment graphically. Wow. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. Uh, but what cool. do you what do you think about the Dan and Lori relationship at this point? How are you feeling about it? I mean, it's it's hard because uh, she bounces back pretty quick, but like, uh, it seems like he needs it pretty bad. Like he needs uh, a win, so it kind of gets him back in his kind of groove. 
Yeah, that's definitely what's going on with Dan. What do you think is going on with Lori, though? Is she legitimately into Dan at this point, or does she just want somebody who is not Dr. Manhattan? I think yeah. it's more of a subconscious thing where, like, we saw in the last couple issues, she's he has been her escape to a more human human, like the most, mm-hmm. like, regular guy guy she knows. So more he's human giving than human. more human than human. He's giving her exactly what she's missing. So she seeks that out. And I don't think it's a conscious like I'm going here to try to cheat on my husband, my space husband. Um, I'm just uh, <laughs> going to I'm seeking out like a moth to a flame what I'm desperate for in my relationship. There's another thing that gets into very heavily into Dr. Manhattan's character when he goes to the interview where they say, um, oh, it's going to be tough to pick up your color blue on camera. We'll have to figure that out. And he immediately makes himself darker. I think that is very much parallel with him trying to start the threesome with Lori, where he's trying to please everybody all the time. He's trying to be this thing. And ultimately what he discovers is he can't be anything to anybody. And so he leaves is what I take away from it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Like he can give, he can solve these basic small problems, but the larger complexities of human emotions are the one thing that he just can't take in. He just can't yeah. see it. He can't fix it. He doesn't have it himself anymore. Yeah. Now, yeah, and it's it's oh, also ahead, kind Pete. of interesting to see somebody so powerful, so vulnerable, and try so hard to do the right thing and have it completely blow up in his face. Yeah, the there's this fantastic sequence. We've talked around it a little bit, but as Dr. Manhattan is accused of giving multiple people cancer, Dan and Laurie are fighting this gang in the alleyway. And all of the narration is so on the nose with what's going on. Uh, You get to see panels of a crowd getting closer and closer and closer around Dr. Manhattan, squeezing him in as they change up the panel structure. As Dan and Laurie are just breathing hard, they're just going, "Uh uh-huh, 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 and that's it. That's their whole dialogue, as if they just had sex, as if, even though, in fact, they're potentially about to. But people are, there's the guard is saying, come on, let's get out of this mob. The mob's getting aroused. And then it cuts to Dan and Laurie. And then the same man says, let him through. He's not here to answer questions on intimate moments as Dan and Laurie look at each other, realizing there's something between them. And then he says, "Uh, gentlemen, I think it's safest not to pursue this line of thinking as they move away from each other, as Dan and Laurie move away from each other and Laurie lights a cigarette. Such a great sequence. So good on both hands. There's so many things going on in that. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And I mean, there's a way to read this where maybe he's aware of that happening at the same time. He says Mm -hmm. alone in that panel uh, right before they right after they've sort of had their not sex, but sex moment. He's like Mm -hmm. away and alone are emphasized. Like maybe he's aware of this all happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, definitely that could a big be a question. Reason, like, he's freaking out too. Yeah, uh, but then he gets back from the interview after he makes everybody disappear from it, and the whole world sees him essentially freak out. Uh, where he gets back, and as we mentioned, we see the danger quarantine is on his room, and he's like, "Hey, you know what? We out. I'm out of here. I'm gonna just real quick stop by Gila Flats, check out my picture of my old girlfriend, and then I'm heading to Mars." And he goes to Mars. Uh, this 
after so much dialogue in the issue that we get two solid pages of Dr. Manhattan silently looking through Gila Flats and exploring the place that where he was born before he leaves ostensibly forever uh, is fascinating just in terms of pacing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so nice. It's such a great way to hyper focus. We've just been given a ton of information about this character and to be able to let it wash over us at the same time, we're watching him go through these same things. And you do see that he does have these emotions. He has the nostalgia, the full, full billboard we see as Laurie's running through the city. He goes back to the place where he was born as this new God hero and he plucks the picture off the wall. So he's not completely dehumanized. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then the last couple of things that happen other than the Black Freighter stuff is we get to see Lori come back to her room. Everything is being quarantined there, even her bra, which I think is, again, very pointed to the Dan Lori of it all, uh, that that's being put in a canister for the time being. Uh, It's being put away. And meanwhile, Dan gets approached by Rorschach, who reveals to him that Dr. Manhattan leaves Earth. And I I know this is something that I keep focusing on, but it it feels very much to me like Warshak is focusing on the wrong things because he brings up that there are two of us gone all within a week talking about the comedian murdered and Dr. Manhattan exiled. And there's sort of a connection there, but there's not exactly a connection there, right? Well, but he's right. In the end, we learn that it was correct that that this was connected and this was all the plan of uh, Mm. Ozymandias. And oh, yeah, okay. and it's also like partly uh, Night Owl 2's fault that, uh, you know, Dr. Manhattan left as well. So, uh, you know, I think Rorschach, yeah, maybe not aware of how kind of spot on he is about that stuff. I think that just speaks to his paranoia. He, he doesn't he's not a logical thinker. He ha- thinks the paranoid thought and then moves backward from there to try mm-hmm. to figure out the clues like many conspiracy theorists. So I yeah. think I think that's what it just happens at this time. He's right, which I think we were talking about a little bit uh, in the maybe the first or second episode of this, how the sort of modern analog of Rorschach connects to some like QAnon theorists and like alt right stuff. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they play that out in the show. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast as well, uh, because they did come out and say that it is a very alt-right conspiracy theory thing. In the book, it's not that Rorschach is the hero. He certainly goes too far and he does the wrong thing. And ultimately, he's not the right hero for the time, as we find out at the end. But it does seem like they're going to go even farther with that on the TV show. So that should be kind of fascinating. Yeah, Yeah. it should be very interesting. Uh, Last couple of things that happen. We get to see the newspaper man, as we mentioned, kind of realize how horrible things have gotten. He gives his hat and the comic to the guy who's been reading it the entire time. He essentially gives everything up that is his in a final analysis. Uh, And then there's another fantastic. I just love Uh, these sequences uh, across the board so much, but like this Dr. Manhattan sequence, as he's walking across Mars, we get to see Richard Nixon talking to his advisors uh, and they're realizing, Oh, well, Dr. Manhattan is off earth. So we're going to kind of have to deal with this. How bad are the losses going to be? But we get to see my favorite panel is they're talking about the nuclear cloud and we see Dr. Manhattan walking across Mars, leaving a cloud of dust behind him. And it says, I'm talking total devastation. 
And there's so many things going on in that one panel where it's Richard Nixon and company talking about the total devastation of America. It's talking about the fact that Dr. Isn't Manhattan isn't there. So really, America seemingly has lost everything. But it's also the total devastation of Dr. Manhattan's heart at the same time. And that's, again, so neat that there's so many things going on in those few simple words. Also, you know, his name is Tricky Dick, and you're seeing a blue dick there as well. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, it's a great connection because a blue is a tricky dick. It's a trickier dick than a regular (laughs) one. And also, you used to say that you could totally devastate a thermos of ramen, right? So that's going on as well. Uh, to one other panel, uh, like art thing, the panel layouts here, th- during this sequence and back with um, Janie Slater and uh, Lori, it's rather than the nine panel grid, it goes from uh, one larger panel, one smaller panel, so that it really feels like voiceover is running across these images, and it switches back and forth uh, between the two different sort of sides uh, at the same time. And it really makes that filmic quality just hammer home here. It's so well yeah. done. You really hear it over the action, just like you would in a movie. Yeah. Also, with the you know switching, when you have all the people wearing their suits, you know, going through all of her stuff uh, for radioactive things, like the fact that they kind of give you that whole thing, so you see everybody in the apartment, like how crazy it really is. Because if you tried to break that up, I don't think it would be as powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, very good comic. People really should check it out. I hope they pick it up. Um, Last couple of things. So we do end with this classic panel of Dr. Manhattan sitting on Mars all alone, which we get to see a couple of other times throughout the series. Uh, And then we also get another chapter or two. Is it two chapters? I think it's just one chapter of Under the Hood talking about the end of superheroes. Um, I, I love, again, how well these parallel this, uh, what's going on in the story, but this is the most also of the news one. I don't know why it is this third issue that the juxtaposition hit me so hard that it felt like it was slammed even harder than the previous two issues. Um, but here we're seeing the end of superheroes, the birth of Dr. Manhattan, as we're seeing, again, the end of superheroes and not the death of Dr. Manhattan, but the end of Dr. Manhattan, at least for now where he's leaving the planet. And I thought this was so nice to see the two things back to back, particularly because the under the hood sections are written. So fun, like they're fun to read. Yeah. Cause it's a narrator that you're, that character doesn't really match with the rest of the story. So reading and hearing his voice, just he's a goofy narrator. Uh, uh, I would also just like to uh, quickly kind of point out, like, we went through a lot in this chapter. Um, and just to kind of, like, have, uh, you know, him sitting there looking sad at us as we are kind of, like, sitting here reading the comic, it's I kind of felt like it was a little bit of a mirror because it was like I was sad by, like, oh, man, you left everybody and you're just sitting on Mars by yourself. With a picture? Yeah. yeah, when he's holding the picture, blocking his junk, and then kind of looking sadly at the. Do reader. you think that's what he's doing? He's looking. He sees you seeing him, and he's just like, "Oh, don't look at my junk." Well, it, he was politely blocking it, so you, the reader wouldn't be. Um, but I don't know if it's like a fourth wall break, or if it's just kind of like this kind of like I'm feeling sad, he's feeling sad thing, you know. 
I it's funny that you say that I interpreted it a little bit differently because he definitely is looking at the camera. He's looking at the viewer then. But I saw it as he's looking out through the comic book panel and saying, hey, you going to drink those noodles? <laughs> you know? it's, a re- it's really up for interpretation. Yeah. yeah. I think Great he's book. looking I think he's looking me in the eyes and is like, hey, what if two of me showed up at your apartment later? Yeah. Like, I think thinking? he's looking at uh, Zalbin being like, hey, you're going to smoke the rest of that dube? <laughs> that sweet green sweet oh, green man. oh i can't wait uh, we really got to wrap up this podcast because i love getting high and i can't wait to get high on marijuana <laughs> after this guys if you want to support this podcast patreon.com slash comic book club also we do a live show every tuesday night at 8 p.m at the people's improv theater in new york come on by we'll chat with you about watchmen pete what do you want to plug Friend us on Facebook so you get to know about the amazing guests we have on our live show. Follow us on Twitter at Comic Book Live. And also at Watchmen Watch One. You can also follow us at Watchmen Watch Podcast on Instagram or on Facebook. Uh, you can subscribe. Find out where to subscribe at comicbookclublive.com. And remember, we taped this podcast 35 minutes ago. Oh, uh, I didn't notice, but Alan just texted me. Oh, it's a, it, was more of a, it was more of a letter from 1985. He said he'll definitely be there next week.